Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tag, you're it. No, wait. I'm sorry. Hide and seek. Wait, I'm getting all these confused. Uh, I... I've been looking all over for Dan. I counted down to five, and I can't find him anywhere. Dan, are you around? Where are you? Red Rover, Red Rover, I call Brute... Wait, no, that's wrong, too. Shoot. Um, hi. Uh, what are we playing? What's going on here? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, this is Positively Trek Podcast, so I guess... Th- wait, this isn't a game podcast, so I don't know why we're doing that. <laughs> But anyway, welcome everyone to the podcast. I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther. Dan, now that I found you, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, Luckily, I was uh, just hiding in my basement, not in the subterranean labyrinth underneath my house uh, that was used in World War II. I I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. But yeah, no, I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk some Trek today. I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but I'm in my basement of the house, so I guess it's my little labyrinth down here, because <laughs> I do have to maneuver to get to this room that I'm in. So it's, yeah, I'm just waiting for Jean-Luc to show up. Over here, hmm. Jean-Luc, over here! Anyway. <laughs> as long as, uh, well, I won't say anything. I don't want to spoil the episode before we get to talk about it, so. No, no, you don't want to do that. So, well, let's go ahead and say that we're going to talk about episode nine of season two of Picard called hide and seek. And this is where everybody says, Oh, that's why you guys were pretending to do games because of the episodes called hide and seek. Of course. Gosh, they're so clever. Those podcasters. Gosh, (laughs) it's like, no wonder everybody listens to us. We're just so good at this. (laughs) I mean, no one saw this coming. I'm like, gosh, yeah. But anyway, before we talk about Picard, though, we want to touch on a few things in the news. And let's talk about a soundtrack to Star Trek Picard season two that's coming out. So this is exciting news. We did get the soundtrack to season one. And now this is a 31-track collection from this current season, and it's available now as you're listening to this. It just released just days ago, and uh, go check it out. Yeah. The cool part about this is uh, they have the full track listing, of course, for what's on the album. And based on the titles of the tracks, you can kind of see where we are in the season. And I'm not saying the, the later track, names give away spoilers, but there's some fascinating things there that I'm curious exactly what they mean. Uh, There's obviously track 21. I won't say what the title is, but that one could be about what happens in this episode that we're going to be talking about. So the ones kind of after that, I'm like, Ooh, some, some tantalizing titles there. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to talk through the titles. So (laughs) They could be spoilers. We don't know for what exactly yet, but. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Now I'm really looking at them. Uh, There could be some light spoilers. You can read into them and totally be wrong, you know? Totally, totally. I will say I do love that they're including uh, Fly Me to the Moon, if if that is the, the instrumental that we got in the other episode but also shadows of the night featuring allison pill so uh her singing that that wonderful rendition that we got a couple episodes back i i love this because this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna play that really loud in my foyer because i have a two-story foyer and i'm gonna stand at the top of the landing and lip sync to it as if i'm allison pill and amazingly a spotlight's just gonna hit you and you don't know where from but yes. the the band will come in and accompany you and yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> and I'll walk down the stairs just like she did. And I'll do this all for my wife and she'll just roll her eyes and go, whatever. And then she'll laugh. <laughs> she'll laugh. <then. laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to listen to this. Um, I enjoy all the music on Star Trek, so it's, it's going to be fun. I'm glad that it's coming so soon. Like, it's not like we have to wait six or nine months for a soundtrack mm-hmm. to come out now. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I, I might have to pick this up. I, that's one thing I've loved this season in Picard is the music as well. So Yes. I also love Star Trek Lower Decks, and season two is coming to Blu-ray on July 12th. And I'm excited about this, even though I can watch it all on Paramount Plus right now, which I have done. I've rewatched some of the episodes. I like that we're getting audio commentaries on four of the episodes and some other little, you know, special features and stuff. And that's what I like about getting the disc is the extras that you get that you don't get in just watching an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big collector of Star Trek on physical media, and I will definitely be picking up Lower Deck Season 2 on Blu-ray, not just for the uh, the visual quality of the episodes, which is always great and very consistent on Blu-ray, but like you said, these special features, the commentaries I'm especially excited about, but uh, these other featurettes that are included here as well. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to review it here on the show. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I so I, I just haven't been one to buy much physical media. I've gotten... All the Blu-rays for the new Star Trek. I have some Blu-rays from the old Star Trek. I don't even know if I told you this, but I did get the Blu-ray set for all three seasons of TOS not that Mm. long ago. Um, But I don't have TNG, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager, and I only have season four of Enterprise. Yeah, I I have all the Blu-rays that they've put out. Of course, Deep Space Nine and Voyager they've never done Blu-rays for because... We'd love for them to remaster those in high definition, but that hasn't happened. But everything else that they've done, I I have gotten the Blu-rays and have in high def. So all of TNG and Enterprise and the original series and even the animated series, oddly enough. Actually, yeah, I do have the animated series on DVD. And so what I was talking more about was physical media. I don't have all that other, whether it's Blu-ray, DVD, even VHS of all those others. But to your point about... Deep Space Nine and Voyager not being on Blu-ray. I, yeah, now that I'm doing my rewatch of DS9 on Paramount+, Plus, I keep thinking sometimes about, mm, I really wish this was in HD and I could be watching it on Blu-ray. It would just look here, a little here. more sharper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I mean, I love DS9. If I had to choose, I'd probably say it's my favorite to go back and rewatch and I would love, obviously, to have that remastered in high definitions. So maybe someday. I mean, Voyager would be great as well. Some great visual effects in Voyager I'd love to see realized in high def. So. Yeah. You know what we need to do? We need to get everybody to watch DS9 and Voyager on Paramount Plus or whatever service you have. Watch them over and over and over again. So all of a sudden, Paramount's like, wow, the numbers are really gone up on these series. Maybe we should release them on Blu-ray. Now's the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it It was a huge investment for them to do it for TNG, and we've seen numerous articles over the years why it would be so expensive for them to do DS9 and Voyager, because they'd have to redo all the visual effects, basically, uh, is one of the big problems, so... <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I'd love... I would love to see it happen. Well, never say never, because this leads us into our next story, and that is the motion picture. Because I remember when the director's cut came out, and people wanted to do that on Blu-ray and HD or whatever, People were, they were saying, oh, we'd have to redo some of the special effects, it's going to cost a lot of money, but yet they did it now. So you never know, down the road, this stuff may get cheaper to do, that would be, you know, fairly easy cost-wise to do DS9 and Voyager, so we'll see. That would be, yeah, I mean, and we've also, I should say, seen a lot of fan efforts online where people have used AI programs to upscale uh, Voyager and Deep Space Nine, which look pretty darn good. So maybe not quite as good as a studio-released HD remaster would look, but some pretty great uh, efforts out there that are worth checking out. So, you know... uh, but yeah, so there's there's some efforts out there. It'd be interesting to see what the studio could do, though. Yeah, well, at least we do get Lower Decks on Blu-ray on July 12th. All the special features there, we'll, we'll check it out that time. But going back to the motion picture, so we had 
the screenplay writer for the motion picture, Harold Livingston, recently passed away last Thursday morning, and he was 97 years old. So he led a really long life. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a prolific novelist and writer, his most famous credit for us, of course, is Star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, he wrote for television shows, Mission Impossible and Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, really, um, a big loss, but huge, huge, uh, contribution to the Star Trek universe. And, uh, definitely sad to see him pass away, but lived quite an interesting and, um, prolific life as a writer in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking how, I wonder if he got to watch this remastered director's edition before Hmm. he passed away. Uh, probably not. Maybe. I don't know, but because it's so beautiful, it looks great and sounds great and everything. But yeah, it the, does does credit to his original story, I think for sure. Oh, absolutely, yes. Which, of course, the story was written by Alan Dean Foster, and here Harold Livingston wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. from that story. But I like the fact too that he did the Six Million Dollar Man because back in the day, in the seventies. I was all into the six million dollar man. I watched every episode. I had the little I don't know if they called them action figures back then, <laughs> but they were dolls, action figures, whatever. And uh so I used to have my six million dollar man fighting Bigfoot and oh the robot guy, I can't remember what his name was, and like things would pop off of the robot guy. And I even had Oscar Goldman. It was it was a thing. Until Star oh, Wars awesome. came, then I forgot all about that. Uh, oh that's awesome yeah i see also he wrote for fantasy island at one point so uh very prolific writing career lots of shows many of which i've I've not seen but a few that i'm familiar with for sure yeah i've watched some of fantasy island i didn't watch that much of it and i've seen some mission impossible so i may have seen some of his work on some of these shows absolutely well anyway um I think it's time we talk about Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek, and we'll do that right after this brief message. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earle. Thank you all so much for your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you once again. And now let's get back to the show. Can't be sad forever. To the mass. In this or any other universe, you always lose. That's why you fight so hard. You live with the death knell of your species across infinite timelines. You fear loss just like we do. You long for what we all long for. Connection. Longevity. Discovery. Only you offer it without choice. Wow, we are so close to the end. And I was really looking forward to this episode because I know it's the lead into the finale and things are going to start to ramp up. And so, Dan, how did you feel initially about this episode? I really enjoyed this episode. I, I feel like the last few have kind of had issues that uh, I wasn't, you know, too keen on the last episode i think was a bit of a t- uptick from those and this one i'm i loved it it's really exciting uh penultimate episode of season two leading us into the finale and uh yeah there's a lot of really interesting developments in this that i was pretty thrilled to see uh play out on my television screen yeah i was reading some people's comments online, which I typically avoid, but I decided to do that last night for some odd reason. And um, it goes back to what you said, I think, last week, is that some people are complaining that the season's been a little slow 
in the middle or a little boring. And I was reading many comments like that. And I've never really felt that way. I mean, to me, the pacing of the season has worked. And maybe it's it works for me because I like to spend a little more time with characters and not ha- actually have to, you know, jump to the next story beat and whatever. And just, I also feel like each episode kind of has its own little storyline in there. Like, like the FBI agent, right? That was an episode, you know, and mm-hmm. this one, it's kind of more of the revelation of Picard's backstory that seems to be kind of self-contained in some of these episodes. So again, like you and I have said, I think binge watching this all at once is really going to be the payoff instead of waiting a week between each episode. Yeah. And it's really the first time I think in Star Trek, that's been the case for me where I feel like it would benefit. I still would never, ever want them to do the Netflix style. Let's drop a whole season at once thing because, Oh man, the podcasting we'd have to do for that. But I, I think this would benefit from a really quick binge watch for sure but that said i'm loving being able to talk about each chapter each week and there's some interesting things that come out of those discussions that i feel like wouldn't happen if we had to talk about it all at once all right well do we want to just jump into the episode now let's jump into it let's talk about it okay let's talk about the whole borg thing Okay, because the episode starts off with these Borg soldiers beaming onto the property of the chateau, and we have the green lights shining around from their weapons, which of course reminds you of the red beams that you would get from Borg moving Mm -hmm. around. But you know, when they start like shooting towards our friends over there at the chateau, in some ways, I felt was a bit much. Like I would think that the soldiers would creep a little closer instead of just randomly just. (laughs) like that all the time i it just fell a little over the top for me what about you i actually at first was kind of thinking along those lines but then i was thinking oh they're they're kind of like the mindless automatons more than what we've seen before if they were this crack group of soldiers they would probably engage in a little bit more you know tactics and stuff but that's kind of how the borg operate right they just kind of keep coming they just kind of respond to stimuli and do their thing. And I felt that's kind of what they were trying to evoke, that these were like zombified, just kind of doing what the Borg would do. So I actually really liked that. I thought that made a lot of sense. I'm glad you said that because then I had that thought too. It started off with like, really, all these soldiers are just going to just start firing. I'm like, well, they are, like you said, Borgified. And and actually... I mean, we're going to kind of jump all over the episodes because I just want to keep with certain themes. So thinking about the Borg, I was kind of bothered at first when I saw Raffi and Seven stab the one soldier with the knife. (laughs) That was a gruesome scene. Yeah. And but then it's like, well, thinking of that as a Borg kind of makes that easier for me than to think of it as a human soldier you know? Yeah. I kept thinking throughout this episode with that and, and numerous other things that happen that like, boy, they, if they're worried about the timeline and the butterflies, like they they've made a ton of changes now. Like these soldiers were, they, did they all die in the original timeline somehow? Like there's gotta be all these ripple effects from what they're doing unless they're pulling a an assignment earth where it turns out they were a part of what the history was supposed to happen all along or something i don't know but i'm like oh man they're they're killing this guy they're beaming a bunch of people into the walls and and that's got a uh are those bodies in those walls in the future now when it's uh, there's so much going on that i'm like they're really messing with the timeline here yeah i'm just wondering cuz you could always say, well, maybe Jean-Luc as a kid didn't get that far to see if bodies were in the wall when he was a kid, you know? But yeah, How horrifying would there? that be for a poor kid to see? Oh, man. Oh, sorry. Well, okay, that was another thing. So I didn't think about the first time I watched it. So I've watched it twice. How many times have you watched it? Just the one time, yeah. Okay. So when I watched it the second time and I saw that scene where the bodies are beamed into the walls, I thought, well, wait a sec, like... 
what an odd choice to put him at those walls at that time when Jean-Luc and Talon are walking through it. Well, I mean, they they did that for like however many were on the ship, which was like 20 or 30 or something. So those two just happened to be there. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It was a coincidence, but like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there could be bodies like all over that place. but that was pretty cool you've got to admit you know if you're going to get rid of them that's a good way to do it well what i i appreciated about it i mean it's gruesome but what i appreciated about it is how many times in star trek have we heard we could beam inside solid rock you know blah 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 now we've actually seen what that's like so there we go it takes me back to that enterprise episode of the guy that had the debris oh yeah yep the debris that contaminated the transporter stream yeah yeah uh i have nightmares about that (laughs) (laughs) so does mccoy (laughs) um so we also have girardi as the borg queen slash whatever and I like at the beginning how she walks over to the actual body of the borg queen and kind of you know, merges with it in a sense and becomes even more Borgified, as you would say, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, that was, that was pretty cool. So at, at that point, I started to think, I don't know if we have much hope for Girardi at this point. Yeah, I, I yeah, I was uh, definitely fearing for her. There's some things in this episode that really turn me around on what they've done with her character, though. So, uh, there's some things I appreciated with what they're doing with her character here, which I wasn't anticipating. Oh, I want to get to that. So, so do tell. Okay. Well, if, yeah, we'll just talk about the whole ending, I guess. The, yes. uh, so Gerardi ends up being strong enough to basically influence the Borg queen. And, and we get to see Gerardi as herself a couple times in this episode, interacting with the Borg queen. And, in previous episodes, I've talked about how disappointed I was that they're kind of doing what they did with her character in season one, where she's being influenced and she's not really herself. But we get to see that kind of that script get flipped a little bit here. She influences the Borg Queen. And I really love that her personality and, and her humanity is strong enough to overcome what the Borg Queen has done with her. Not not overcome it, but influence it and and assert herself in a way that it looks like we're fundamentally changing the nature of the Borg now, which honestly, I thought that was the coolest dang thing where she basically argues for a new way forward for the Borg. And uh, I, you know, I had thoughts in my mind as I was watching this, I was thinking of like the Kaliar from the destiny series and all that sort of stuff. And and the idea that the Borg could go forward, not as a conquering force, but as a force for good in the galaxy. That's fascinating to me. And we were talking about the Borg soldiers, you know, how much more effective the soldiers would have been if they were just left as soldiers and not turned into this hive mind zombie creatures. Uh, You know, that that kind of feeds into what happens at the end and what the Borg might be going forward now, too. I think that's really cool. I do, too. It. I, I read some comments online, which, like I said, I try to avoid usually, but where people said it just seemed to happen a little too fast that Girardi was able to do this and convince the Borg queen. And I can see some of that, but this is also a TV show, but I also buy into it because they have been merged, you know, for the, you know, for several episodes now that I think one always has some kind of influence on the other, even emotionally that there's this bond. So Mm -hmm. it's not as if, a separate person named Girardi is talking to the Borg queen and convinces her they're melded into one person. So yeah. she can not just hear what Girardi's saying, but feel and, and, and really tap in her mind and see the logic. So if Girardi's bought into it, it may be easier for the Borg queen to buy into it. And especially when she's having this adrenaline run 
where she's almost kind of winning over the queen at this point. So she's going to have a little more strength over her. So that would work. And to your point, then this brings out a whole new concept for the Borg that could really play out to be interesting because, you know, a lot of us have said, oh, we're getting kind of tired with the Borg up. Oh, here's the Borg again. Well, Here's a new aspect of the Borg, whether you like that direction or not, at least to me, that's an interesting direction to go in. Yeah, it's different. And it's it's something fascinating, like you said, an interesting direction. I also think because of just who Jurati is, that really made the difference here because we've seen in previous episodes, the Borg queen is impressed by her. So she's probably a little more receptive and probably kept some part of her personality around longer than she would have, if it was just someone else that she was, you know what I mean? Like she would have just subsumed that and said, screw it. But she kept the Gerardi personality around and now she's able to kind of influence her and, and assert some dominance and instead of just like disregarding it because it's Gerardi, she's putting some value in that because she's previously impressed her. So I don't know. I, th- I think that all kind of factors in and those little hints and seeds were there from the beginning. And I really appreciate that. And then it kind of takes me back to the first episode of that Borg queen we saw mm-hmm. on the Stargazer. And it's like, okay, obviously. I'm guessing that's Girardi or some kind of influence of what we're getting from here to that Borg queen, which makes me wonder, are there two types of Borg that are out there that we've never known about? Yeah, that could very well be. Uh, And it seems that like what they said about the Borg in that episode, they are kind of on the up and up. Like they want to maybe not join the Federation. They they kind of said they want to join the Federation. I don't know if maybe that's the case, but they at least want to ally with the Federation or, or create some sort of relationship with them that we haven't seen before. And I like your thought that there may be two types of Borg out there now. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I keep thinking this somehow is going to play into season three. I can't see all this just being like, ended in this next episode that we're going to get on the finale of the season mm-hmm. and just be done with it. This, this is going to continue on to season three. It's got to. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think that's got to be the case at this point. But aren't you worried about Girardi though? I mean, I feel like we're never going to get that character back. I don't know. See, cause like if the timeline reverts though, like we'll, I don't know how that how that works because Gerardi was on the bridge there as well with Picard and Rios and all of them and the Borg Queen. So if the timeline reverts, maybe they'll be all back to their normal selves and this will have continued in the other timeline, which has crossed over into this one somehow. Or maybe just Q snaps his fingers and makes it all okay. I don't know. I, I have no idea. No, that's a good point because... Yeah, because I believed all along that we're going to kind of reset, for the most part, our characters back into the 25th century, and Elnor's going to be there, and we've learned whatever lesson we've needed to learn, and we have memories of the past, at least these characters do, is what I'm getting at. But you just said this; these events that we're seeing here could affect this other timeline, but remember, Girardi is pointing out to the Borg Queen that they always lose at some point no matter what timeline Mm -hmm. so with the borg queen knowing that or the girardi borg queen knowing that they're going to want to influence what the borg do in other timelines including the prime timeline so yeah i can see Mm -hmm. where it crosses timelines because they're not going to just think about that's not the how the way the borg thinks they don't think in terms of just this timeline they 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 are aware of other timelines yeah as we've learned the the queen is is receptive to all all the different permutations and stuff so yeah yeah, that that's that's kind of where my mind was going as well i mean i i find this like very interesting to me this is this is a really good payoff to the season i mean whether you know again reading comments online there's people who love this season and people who don't like this season, but then 
I think this is an interesting concept regardless. Yeah. I'm definitely into it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So since we're talking about the ending, let's go ahead and talk about this Renee thing because my wife was asking me after the episode, what do you think? What do you think when Girardi says that there needs to be two Renees, one who lives, another that dies? And my wife kept saying to me, what do you think that means? What do you think? And I want to ask you, Dan, what do you think? I honestly am not sure what they're going for. Like on the face of it, you could say, okay, they need to have one timeline go forward that turns into the Federation and one that turns into the Confederation. I don't know why that would be though. And for some reason, my brain also went to Picard's nephew, Renee, who yeah. died in the fire in generations. And I'm like, could that be something? I mean, like the more I think about it, the more I think like, I don't think so. Like, I don't think, think that but that did kind of flit through my mind briefly so i yeah. have no idea i don't know that went through my mind too and i said that to my wife I, I i feel like it's a bit of a stretch because if somebody's really not that familiar with star trek generations they might be a little lost to introduce that piece into it but i don't know but i thought uh. maybe it's her way of saying you know this this renee needs to live but Jean-Luc also has to accept the fact that the other Rene had to die, just like he needs to accept that his mother passed away. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that Rene, his nephew, passed away. He needs to move on. Like, yeah. But I do feel like it's a bit of a stretch because that concept of his nephew has never been introduced in this season at all. Yeah, it would feel like a really weird time to just kind of insert that into the season. I It doesn't ring true for me, but... Yeah, I don't know. I'm this this one's got me at a bit of a loss, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure what they mean. And I'm sure when they reveal it I'm going to be like, "Oh, okay." But I wonder if Picard knows what it means because he was so quick to dismiss it. You know, it's like, "Hey, the Girardi Borg Queen had a message for you, Picard." "Oh, that's okay. I we need to move forward." Like, "I don't care." Like you would think he'd Take a moment and go, what is she trying to tell us? Is there a clue here? Maybe there's something we need to know. Oh, see, I, I totally interpreted that differently because th there's some weird editing at the end, I do have to say. And I, I yeah. kind of commented on this when I was watching this with Nikki as well. But he kind of, he gets the message and he's like, huh. And then it looks like he gets it or something. He's like, oh, we need to move quickly. And then moves on. So I, I thought he like, oh, I get it. I know it that means and they're gonna go do something and i'm just like i don't i don't know what it means though but picard i thought did so i don't know i kind of felt like he got it but just dismissed it <laughs> huh okay yeah um, i totally interpreted that differently where he's like oh i know what i have to do now we have to go do this thing oh now i want to go back and rewatch it again <laughs> I don't know why. I just felt like he was just dismissive of it. Like he didn't want to acknowledge it or something. Like, uh, oh yeah, no, that is amazing. But you're right. When you said the editing, I thought the editing was a little awkward, like a little quick. It something. felt like there was a weird jump there. Like they cut something out. Yeah. Like yeah, it's 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 jarring because I feel like his tone and and how he's talking changes very abruptly there. Yeah. 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 So now that we're talking about Jean-Luc, let's just go ahead and talk about his whole backstory and how this plays out. So one thing I want to say is I, I can't say I was surprised of the result of this story of the hidden past that he's locked away and what happened. I mean, I didn't know exactly was what was going to happen, but I knew something not good with his mother, but mm. I have to say, I love the way they did the whole reverse storytelling where everything was moving backwards. I thought that was a great direction. Yeah. And him wanting to undo that moment. And yeah. Yeah. That was striking visually for sure. But how did you feel about his mother hanging herself? That well, whole storyline <laughs> and how it affects him. Obviously, I'm very sad for Jean-Luc, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, I thought that was very sad. <laughs> no, I guess what I'm trying to get is, 
that did you do you like how the writers decided to do something tragic like this to his mother to make this the thing that prevents Picard in his life from having connections to others? I feel like it makes sense for his character. You know, I, I feel like it it kind of he he's I mean, he doesn't need some big tragic thing to propel him to be this kind of person. It's okay to be that kind of person otherwise, but I thought it was interesting to to give him that backstory and, and to kind of flesh that out and, and see how it affected him. I, I yeah, I, I I think Patrick Stewart played it very well and I think it works with what we've learned of, of Picard. I did appreciate as a diehard Star Trek fan, the fact that they went back and kind of papered over the, the fact that we see his mother as an old woman in his imaginings in the first season episode where no one has gone before. And they have Picard mention that he even imagined her as an old woman, uh, into his adulthood offering him a cup of tea and a chat and that's exactly what happened in that episode i i loved that i'm like the writers are paying attention because obviously they've gone back and watched that episode because that's where that i think that's the only time or one of the few times that picard's mother is even mentioned or a name is even given right so they they're aware of that backstory uh, so I appreciated how they they incorporated that and made that make sense. Yeah, I I can't wait to watch that TNG episode again, knowing this, right? Yeah, it just it the best additions to canon add another layer to things that we've seen before, you know, and and I feel like obviously not the intention of the writers the first time around when they wrote it, but this new edition just adds to that and adds to the tapestry. It's similar to how we found out that, you know, Spock uh, didn't, when he decided not to go to Starfleet and his father didn't speak to him for so long, it was also because Sarek had reserved that spot for Spock, denying it to Michael Burnham, and he felt guilt over that. I, I love that. I think that's really cool. I like how they're given the opportunity to write backstories to characters like that and make it so it didn't play out the way you thought it did. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, you just assumed X, Y, and Z, but it was really more A, B, and C, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and not in a way that feels forced or not genuine, right? It feels like they, they haven't said that like, oh, his mother was actually a shapeshifter who blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something crazy. It's, it fits with what came before, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I like that. I mean, whether you like it or not, I mean, you don't have to accept it, you know, because the writers of the original characters weren't thinking these as backstories. They weren't written mm-hmm. in, the, in the character bios in the Bible of the series. You know, this is what these other writers and creators are, are putting a spin to. But I do enjoy that. But the thing I feel sad about for Jean-Luc, of course, yeah, losing his mother, but I really want him to know that it's not his fault you Mm -hmm. know it's not his fault that his mother did this yes he opened the door but he was also a child he didn't know his father never sat down and explained to him or any no one ever sat down explained what was going on with it he wouldn't have known he wouldn't he would have no idea he shouldn't carry that burden he could carry the pain and the hurt that he lost his mother and yeah i mean it's easy to say it's not your fault but he also knows that, yes, but had I not opened the door, she, she would be alive. But mm-hmm. it, it's not his fault. You know, it's just, I, I hope that's addressed a little more, maybe even in the next episode. Yeah. I, it's so interesting. I made this comment while we were watching this episode. So many pieces of media right now, and I don't, maybe this has always been the case and I just wasn't receptive to it. But it feels like so much of what we're watching right now has to do with intergenerational trauma. Like that seems like something that we are really tackling and really exploring right now. Uh, That's obviously come up here in Picard. We're also watching Moon Knight right now, Marvel series, which 
that's a huge part of the latest episode that just aired on Wednesday, the before this one aired on Thursday. Very similar themes in those two episodes. And the movie Encanto is basically about intergenerational trauma and that sort of thing. So I'm just noticing all this stuff and it feels like something we're really tackling. Uh, Turning Red, another Disney Pixar movie, same thing about intergenerational trauma. It just it, it feels like something we're really tackling as a society right now. I also was thinking about Robert in mm-hmm. this situation, to your point about intergenerational trauma. It's like, how does this affect Robert? Of course, Robert isn't in this episode. It's mentioned in an earlier episode that he's off at school, so that's why we don't see him. Mm-hmm. But what? how does the death of his mother affect him, and what does he know about it? I would assume that no one told him that Jean-Luc opened the door, unlocked the door for her, you know? But yeah. I wonder if he does know that. Yeah, if, if it came out, if he found out some way. I think uh, part of, the, again, just adding another layer to canon, the fact that he's so cold with his brother could very much have something to do with that, that he's so cold towards Jean-Luc. Even if he doesn't know that Jean-Luc did this and doesn't blame him that way, the fact that Jean-Luc got to be home to speak with his mother and and be with her at a time when he couldn't because he was away at school, that would be enough really to have some sort of cold feelings and, and some sort of feelings of, of regret and anger towards Jean-Luc, you know? So I think that's interesting. I think that adds another layer that, you know, may not necessarily be there, but I think you could interpret it that way. That makes me want to go back and watch family now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause it will be fun to watch all these different episodes that, you know, now you may look at it a little differently. You know, you're, you're going to think about these characters in a different way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be good. Uh, you know, Talon, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot for her character in this. Um, I mean, I really enjoy her character, but she's helping Jean-Luc through the process of figuring things out, but we're not really learning anything more about her in this episode. Just more of like her just kind of, you know, pushing him just a little more to think things through and accept it. So, I, I mean, I guess that's all I have to say. There really isn't, unless you have anything to say about this character, but I didn't, I don't have much to say about her in this episode. Yeah, I just appreciated her role with Jean-Luc there. And she's basically the one to have found out all this. And she's the one to tell Jean-Luc it's not your fault and that sort of thing. So I think she was important to the story in, in that sense. I, I I still love Orla Brady. I think she's incredible. And even though she's in this episode a limited amount, the part she plays is, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do too. Lifelong That's, crush on or- Orla Brady, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like I still want just a little more of her. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. It's like, oh, we got her in this, but eh, it's kind of wish I had a little more of her. But uh, anyway, we're just glad we're getting more of her this season than we did last season. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to talk real quick because I'm picturing her and Jean-Luc in the greenhouse where soon confronts them. After going through the tunnels, you know, playing hide and seek per se, and, you know, traps them like a mouse in a maze or whatever. He knows you get the mouse to come out of the maze. But, okay, okay two things I want to mention. Like, soon uh, just is the most annoying character of the season for me. <laughs> just so over him. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's awful. I don't have much to say about him either, other than, ugh. Yeah. I still don't really understand his purpose. I feel like I'm missing something. Like, why Why is he there? Why Why is the queen need him? I think just, yeah, uh, he he wants his legacy, and, and that's what ushers in the, the confederation future and, and that sort of thing. And they want to stop Renee. That's, that's the whole thing, I guess. And he's now like wants his, his legacy. He wants to be the famous person that ushers in the future. Yeah. That just seems weak. (laughs) I mean, meaning that I just don't see why the queen needs him. Like why she, why he's tagging along. Like she, if she gets, well, he, he got her the army. Like that's basically what she used him for. 
I don't, you know, that was, that was spelled out in the last week's episode. I think that's the whole reason she's a user, right? She uses people. That's, she wanted an army of people to take the ship. That was her whole goal. Okay. So where did he go then when Rio shows up, (laughs) by the way, I love the scene and I didn't love the scene. Just so yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a bit of like convenience stuff there for sure. Yeah. So I love how earlier in the episode, they you know Rios gets hit by one of the the guns, you know, gets shot in the arm, and they transport him back to Talon's apartment, and he's there with Teresa and and Ricardo, and again, I like the scenes between you know this couple, these two characters. And he's prevented from beaming back. Jean-Luc had them block him from coming back. But he's over able to override the system. And of course, you know, they have to kiss before he goes back, you know, all that stuff. But then he, why why did he beam in the to the greenhouse, Stan? Why why there? Probably I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he used the sensors to determine where everyone was and and, and read the script to see where the most opportune place to be would be, I guess. I don't know. That part was a little bit like, okay, this is very Hollywood at this point, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. I did roll my eyes a little bit at that. I'll admit. I did have the thought of him, you know, well, where am I going to beam to? Oh, I'm registering. Here's where Picard is. I'll beam to where he is. Mm-hmm. Knowing that he is being chased, I need to be ready in case there's soldiers after him at this point. So I'll have my gun ready. So it's like, okay, yeah, this can work. But I have to say, when he beams in and he's got his gun there ready at soon, I was like, yes, Han Solo, come to the rescue. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. <laughs> if he could beam in. But um, but I love then how soon gets the gun and you start to hear the whine of the gun reaching. And he's like, oh, you know, I've got the gun now. He's like, yeah, but it's got this DNA sensor and it's going to explode if it doesn't recognize your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he just not said anything. <laughs> we could be rid of him by now. He'd be like, what's this noise it's making? Boom. <laughs> ah, But now he lives to, I don't know, he lives to sung another day. I guess he ran away because he tosses the gun. It goes boom, and then he's just not there. Yeah, he just—I don't know. I—I I wish he was just gone. <laughs> I know. I would have been very satisfied if that happened. But let's just assume he was. That would again change the timeline. Yeah, right? it would. He does need to escape to. Yeah, uh, unless I don't know. Corey is out there. No, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. It, Yeah. He's got to clone himself or have a kid or something. <laughs> I really thought we'd see Corey on the beach. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was, I thought, I think she's gone. I think she's done though for the season. Yeah. I think she just right. walked out of Soong's life and that's it. Yeah. Cause I don't know how you bring her back in. Nah, not, maybe, episode. but yeah, I, I think she's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's talk about Seven and Raffi. Um, mm-hmm. This is, I, I, I like the storyline for these. You know, this really was focusing really on both characters. I was going to say on Seven, but really on Raffi's relationship with Elnor and what she's been going through. So when Girardi brings up the hologram of Elnor, I'll have to admit I did an eye roll at first. <laughs> <laughs> But it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? It's an emergency combat hologram, one we've not seen before. I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to program something like that, well, I mean, she still could have made it look like Rios, like all the other holograms, but she did a dead person, <laughs> Elnor, but he has these incredible combat skills. So, mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense. But. You know, I, I I have to say, I always enjoy an Elnor combat scene. So I was enjoying him taking down these soldiers. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I love Evan Evagora. I, I wish the actual character of Elnor was in this a bit more. But just seeing him, and like you said, the combat scenes, he's so good. It's great to watch. Well, then he has that scene with Raffi, and he quickly says, 
I'm a hologram when she's like, Elnor, I'm a hologram. Oh, he's got the uh, uh, emitter. Yeah. Like, that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that. I thought there were hollow emitters throughout the ship. That's kind of what I thought. I, I think they had to, because at one point I was like, why are the soldiers firing at that? And I mean, again, there's zombified Borg who aren't thinking whatever, but you know, they're shooting at the hologram. What the heck? And then I realized, Oh, he's got that emitter. So maybe he's got to make sure that doesn't get hit. But yeah, that, that was an odd choice. Does that mean that we're going to see this hologram Elnor in the future, that this is our new Elnor? Oh, that would be interesting. He could go with them outside. Wait, is he still with the ship that the Borg Queen took, though? Or Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Hello? Where did everybody go? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, well, maybe we'll see that in the next episode, right? Yeah, he, I, di- I didn't think of that until just this moment. I didn't either, until you said it. I was like, oh, yeah, he's got to still be on the ship. Either that or he sn- snuck off the ship and we're like, oh, okay, there he is. No, I bet he kind of helps take control of the ship back. I well, don't know. I don't think they're getting the ship back. I think the queen's taken it now to turn the Borg good. <laughs> well, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're taking the ship back. They They traded the ship for Seven's life, right? Yeah, I know, but I just didn't know if Elnor would try to take the ship back for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, the Borg are going to be good now. Oops, stab. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elnor has ruined it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I want to know what Elnor knows. Does he even know what's going on? <laughs> like, the poor guy. Yeah, the one thing that I I thought was strange was, was it, it's nice to see there's that scene between Elnor and Rafi and the hologram says that he has memories of the real Elnor's final breaths and knows enough to know that his last feelings would not have been of blame, but of love. And I'm like, okay, so how does the hologram know that exactly? That seemed a little odd, but it's yeah, convenient. <laughs> I feel like it was, it's in the medical database, you know, he's tied into the ship. And so when, but how would even that, system know his memory like his thoughts yeah that's what i mean yeah yeah yeah. that's i was wondering that too and then how does teresa know how to use a tricorder right (laughs) that one i didn't mind as so the the previous episode where she uses the thing to stabilize him that kind of bugged me because like how does she know how to use that and and that sort of thing but this time around it's it's a tricorder and Riosa says, oh, use this. I feel like it's probably a little more user-friendly and she can look at it and see, oh, there's an outline of his body and there's where the thing is. And, you know, I feel like that's a little bit more user-friendly and the scene kind of ends there so we don't see what happens further. And I, I feel like that makes more sense that Rios could have, like, shown her a bit about how to use it and she kind of figures that out. So that didn't bug me this time as much as the previous one did. Yeah, same here. It didn't bother me as much, but I did have the thought like, okay, she's able to figure this out pretty easy. I can't even get my parents to figure out their iPhones. (laughs) (laughs) And Teresa can just use this tricorder just like that. But yeah. Um, But then we've got Seven and her journey in this. And we find out that she did try to join Starfleet but um, they wouldn't have her because she was Borg. Yeah. Um, but yet they took Icheb into Starfleet, into Borg. So what do you think about that? I've seen some people talking about this online, and I wish I could credit who originally was saying this, but fans are good at, at making things make sense. And I'm like, okay, all right. So somebody was saying that, like, well, Ichab wasn't a part of the collective as long. He was still a kid when he was rescued from the Borg. And so maybe there's some there. He hasn't assimilated thousands of people like Seven has and that sort of thing. And then someone else mentioned that Seven of Nine has a cortical node in her head and Ichab doesn't because he donated his to Seven to keep her alive. So maybe it's the cortical node that's like a security risk for Starfleet or something like that. And I was like, okay, Star Trek fans, y'all be clever. 
<laughs> I have no, I don't know. I don't think that's what the writers were thinking when they wrote that or anything, but I'm like, that's interesting. I love that fans are able to come up with, you know, creative explanations for things. So I don't know, maybe I'll incorporate that into what, to make that make sense. But I think even just the fact that seven spent most of her life as a Borg and, assimilated thousands of individuals and stuff, there might be some jerk on the admissions board that voted against her because of something like that, you know? So who knows, right? Yeah. That's where my mind went. I read the one theory you mentioned about the cortical node thing and stuff. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I I thought it was more an age thing where, Icheb was still young. He wasn't as part of the collective like Seven was. So maybe they were able to kind of give him a pass, but didn't feel quite comfortable putting Seven there. Even though, as she said, Janeway was, you know, willing to leave Starfleet over it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we got a little Janeway drop in this episode. That was nice. I appreciated that. Yeah. And she also mentioned Voyager. She said, you know, after Voyager, I tried to join Starfleet. So it was good to hear her talking Voyager and Janeway in this episode. But then, you know, she gets injured from the Borg Queen. And we were talking earlier about Girardi and the Borg Queen coming to this new Borg philosophy of life. (laughs) And then the Borg Queen saves Seven's life. But then she gets her Borg implants back, which... You know, she doesn't seem all that happy with, but, you know, she is, you know, glad that she's alive again. But I like the exchange that she has with Rafi, who talks about, you know, no matter who Seven is, she's still one of the most extraordinary person that she's ever met, you know? So I like that exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of great Seven Rafi moments here. And yeah, Seven kind of coming to to realize through Rafi that, you know, she needs to be herself, right? And to accept that part of her. And I love that the Borg Queen Gerardi says they intend to make a collective of sevens, you know, make yes. people like seven. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. She's like the template for this new Borg order, I guess. Yeah. I, I yeah, I like the scenes with Rafi and Seven and and Rafi telling Seven that you know, she's always running. And what if you just stop? Why don't you just stop, you know? And I almost feel like, you know, Rafi can learn from that too herself, you know? I mean, we all can. We just need to stop, you know? Just take that moment and stop running and just just be in the moment. Just be who you are or whatever, you know? I've been seeing all these comments online about the refit NX01 is now mm-hmm. canon. So did you notice that watching this episode? I didn't. I had to see that uh, in a post uh, originally shared. I can't remember by who, but I saw Doug Drexler had shared it online from from that original post. And that's pretty cool. It's the Eagle Moss NX-01 refit model that I actually happen to have right here. Uh, So, yeah, that's uh, you. You and little Jean-Luc have the same model. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That just goes to show the quality of Eagle Moss models. They last hundreds of years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But yeah, no, that was, that's cool. I wish I'd noticed it in the episode, but that's awesome that that's, it's now canon. We've seen it on screen. In my head, canon, Dan, that that model that you just held in your hand will get passed on to generation to generation (laughs) and eventually end up in Jean-Luc's possession. Yep, there you go. (laughs) So, well, overall thoughts about this episode. I really enjoyed this one. I think it's a great penultimate episode. I'm really curious to see where this all goes now. We've gotten some idea of of what's going to happen with the Borg. I hope that's a really interesting permanent change that we see go forward and and whatever form that takes, whatever that looks like. I'm, I'm really fascinated to see that. Oddly satisfied with where Allison Pills Girati ends up this season, even though I thought I wouldn't be. So kudos to the writers for making me uh, get on board with that. That was pretty cool. I I did wonder when Picard sees 
Rios and Teresa why he didn't yell at Rios. Like, what is she doing here? What's going How did... What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's butterflies being killed all over the place here. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. They they seem to have really mucked around with the timeline more than just giving Dr. Nichols the formula for transparent aluminum ever did. So, <laughs> boy, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious to see where it goes. I'm enjoying all of this. And uh, the character exploration is what I love out of Star Trek. And we're getting lots of that for sure. So, yeah, I'll have to give this, I think, four and a half reformed Borg collectives out of five. Yeah. I'm on the same page with you. The characters, I love their interactions. I love what they're doing with the characters. I liked the result of the Jean-Luc backstory, although I wasn't surprised by it. We kind of been building and given little hints as we've been going along through the series. I mean, I didn't know how his mother died or exactly what would have was going to happen, but, this kind of fit into the direction I thought they would go in. I, I even liked even soon figuring out the secret door. I'm like, hmm, wait, I bet I know. <laughs> I just thought that was funny for some reason. But, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, Teresa and, and Rios, I, I like their interchange with each other. And I like, of course, Seven and Rafi and bringing Elnor in. I love seeing Elnor. And that was a little cheesy to bring him back as the hologram, but it makes sense. If Jari's going to do somebody, might as well do Elnor. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm just looking forward to seeing how this wraps up in the next episode. I hope it's not too rushed. I think it's going to be okay. I think the pacing is going to work out. I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So I'm going to give this episode four out of five swords that Elnor found on the ship. Ooh, I like it. So, Dan, we have the finale coming out this Thursday. We also have the premiere of Strange New Worlds coming out this Thursday. There's a lot coming up. It's going to be a big episode next week. Boy, uh, I can't wait. I'm very excited, both for the finale of Picard and for the premiere of Strange New Worlds. So, uh, yeah, I'm on board for all the Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And just so people know, you know, there's some people out there that do podcasts and blogs and whatever else that have gotten some advanced episodes. We haven't. So when we're saying, oh, we can't wait to see, we really haven't seen anything. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm really curious to see how these play out. I'm very excited about it, uh, about the finale and seeing a premiere of this new series. But I will say about this, I want to ask you this real quick about the finale. Are you hoping we don't have a cliffhanger or do you want a cliffhanger? That's a good question. I'm I'm kind of torn on it in that I'm not the biggest fan of cliffhangers, but at the same time, I'd rather have a bit of a cliffhanger than have it all wrapped up really quickly, really fast. Like I feel like the 21st century stuff that's going to get wrapped up. That's going to have a bow on it. It's that's going to be done. But that situation we saw at the start of the second season on the Stargazer, I feel like there'll be like a little bit of a wrap up of that, but whatever that situation they're in there is, I hope that's kind of left a little open to continue into season three. Maybe they have something completely different planned than what I'm imagining in my head, but I feel like that needs to not be completely wrapped up, if that makes sense. Uh, it, yeah, it's exactly, exactly how I feel. I I mean, if, if they don't have a cliffhanger, that's fine. But I do kind of wish they have, like a, like you said, like a small cliffhanger or something where the season feels like it's wrapped up, but then there's this loose end that we end the season with going, ah, now we know where that's going into the next season. I want to see how this plays out. I want that moment. Considering the fact that they filmed these back to back pretty much at the same time, these two seasons, they would know the direction they're going in season three, I would assume. So, yeah, you know, why not do that? I mean, it's always painful to wait, but I I would like to know that there's a bridge between this season and next season. For sure. Absolutely. So that being said, Dan, where can people find you online if they want to talk about Picard or strange new worlds or any star Trek with you? 
You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Also, youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And, of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And I'm also on Instagram at just Admiral Rex, no underline. And you can find me in our Goodreads group where we post upcoming books that we're going to cover on the book club episodes. And you can find this show on Twitter at Positively Trek and also on Instagram at Positively Trek. You can send us an email, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And yeah, look for our Facebook discussion group. We'll let you in. A lot of positive fans in there having good conversations about Star Trek and posting some fun stuff too. And we'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon for all your support. It does cost us money to produce and distribute this show. So that support really does help us a lot. And of course, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in each and every week to hear us ramble on about Star Trek stuff. So thanks everyone for joining us. And until next time, go out in the world and stay positive. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.